Let's get it rolling for another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. How you doing today? We head into a weekend that's going to be very eventful, sports-wise, ag-wise, weather-wise. Looks like we've even got some fireworks that might be coming into the picture for Nebraska and Kansas as we move toward the new work week. Let's move on over to Clay Patton, who has the lowdown on what the ag team is working on today. And the ag team is busy. We've got uh, Bryce. He's getting ready to head out to Seattle next week with the soybean board and more. So, again, kind of people flying all over. But, no, we've got Al Dutcher, state climatologist, coming on at 1219. His uh, week-ending segment that we featured here the last several weeks. Just getting the latest up there. And then Shaley at 1245. This is going to be a great follow-up to that one. Shaley is talking with CME's Eric Nordelin on possible La Nina effects. They've been really watching those pressures and those heat deterrents in the Pacific Ocean, and and we could be having another La Nina start to set up here in 2018, so we'll be curious to see what happens there. And then Chad Boyer comes on at 117 talking about the Pork Industry Forum in Kansas City, where he's been the majority of the week. Yeah. Uh, d- just about everyone's got to take a trip except for Clay Patton, seems to me. It's Somebody's got to watch the farm. <laughs> That's right. The milking's got to be done. That's how they say it. All right. Brandon Bennett's in for sports today. Filling in, there's so many things going on in the 1225 sports. We're going to have a complete rundown of all of yesterday's winners, and I'm not going to take the time to do that now because it would be some time, well, really about the time the sports would start anyway. But most importantly, especially on a local level, Pleasanton Bulldogs see their season come to an end. They fall to North Central just a few minutes ago. That game went final 64-52. to Pleasanton Lady Bulldogs only had two losses on the year, and the second of those was in the second round of the state tournament. So a great year for the Pleasanton Lady Bulldogs. Still a number of reasonable area schools still in the mix in a game that's uh, going to tip off here, or just is underway, I should say. Ansley Litchfield is still facing BDS right now, so we'll have the latest scores and updates for you at the 1225. And with the elimination after this season of the University of Nebraska Kearney baseball team, their final ever home opener is this afternoon at 2 o'clock. All right. Let us not also forget that the Nebraska men and women take or could possibly take their next step into a Big Ten uh, situation. Indeed. The Husker men tip off uh, in about an hour and a half at 1 o'clock, and the Husker women are in Indianapolis, try saying that fast five times, at 7 o'clock. Uh, no. Uh, in Indianapolis. Go for it, Dirk. The, uh, no, the, the, uh, the gauntlet will have to lay on the ground there. We need to do more reports on chicken. <laughs> Clay. Chicken. 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 Because we he, can do that. Yeah, because he chickened out of saying in All Indianapolis. All right, that's enough. Your microphone goes down no. now. And Bob Brogans comes up. Stocks mostly lower on Wall Street. Investors are worrying about escalation of trade tensions and uh, what kinds of repercussions that could have. And, uh, of course, President Trump made some waves, a few waves yesterday, maybe two or three, um, over uh, some talk about tariffs, I guess. So we'll have a little bit on that. Uh, Lack of appetite for value menus sinks McDonald's shares. So apparently people aren't uh, feeling the love about that value menu. Hmm. And uh, But I like most everything that I eat there. So I I do too, and all at once. Is that an endorsement? I (laughs) Apparently, people don't want to pay less for less. So those are some of the things going on. All right. Very good. That's all coming up for you today on Midday.
Paul Perkins is having a little equipment problem here. You got the chin strap on good now? Or? Yeah, we should be. I was able to find the cover to avoid popping the peas, oh, as yeah. the business likes the, to call it. The popping of the peas is something we never like to do around here. It's uh, going to be a, a very uh, a warm one, followed by a real cold one here. This is this is what Nebraska is known for. Exactly, very powerful storm system. Uh, very warm temperatures ahead of it, and then of course it'll be pulling in some colder air behind it, but not luckily too big of a drop in those temperatures, actually just a little bit below normal as we head towards early next week. But yeah, big change on the way. Yeah, and here comes your ag weather with Paul Perkins, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Reiki dealer. Temperatures warming very nicely right now across much of Nebraska in the mid to upper 40s, but right along that Nebraska-Kansas border, we do have temperatures mainly in the low 50s on into northern Kansas, even some upper 50s as you head towards northeast Colorado. These warmer conditions, thanks to approaching strong low pressure off to our west, that's going to keep these south winds breezy to strong all the way through the weekend. Temperatures will warm from the 50s and 60s today to the 60s and 70s for both days of the weekend. The breezy winds are going to keep those temperatures above freezing and on the mild side for most of us tonight and tomorrow night. Now, in the drier areas of northern Kansas and northeast Colorado, these warmer precinct conditions aggravating the fire danger to critical levels. And we do have some red flag warnings posted for most of northern Kansas on into northeast Colorado. Now, strong, that strong storm does remain on track to impact the region on Sunday into Monday. That area of strong low pressure evolving over the central plains Sunday and Monday. A cold front will sweep south Sunday evening. That could trigger our first thunderstorms of the season late on Sunday afternoon into the evening, and a few may be severe. Now, as that colder air rushes in behind that front, there is a limited potential for some snow Sunday night. So right now, it's a limited potential for some snow. Very high winds going to be a big story. We are expecting those very high winds to develop late Sunday night into Monday. Some areas could see sustained winds up near 40 and possible gusts of 50 to 60. The chances of a snow and rain mix will linger through Monday afternoon as moisture wraps around the back of that low. For the midweek, we'll see high pressure move overhead to keep it dry. And another chance of moisture starts to return by late in the week next week. In our long-term forecast, the temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas are expected to start slightly cooler than the normal the mid to late part of next week. That forecast then trends warmer than normal next weekend through March 15th. Our precipitation outlook expects below normal precipitation the middle part of next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Then that trend for a near normal precipitation expected late next week through the 15th. Your weather factors affecting the markets include no significant rain the next seven days in Argentina and continued dryness in the southern plains wheat areas. Our overall dry trend in the southern plains expected to continue for at least the next 10 days where they need more rain before the wheat breaks dormancy. A significant snow event is predicted towards the Dakotas and northern Minnesota late in the weekend and Monday. So the storm system moving through our area on Sunday and Monday looks to be bringing all the snow to the north. The likely effects from that will include disruption of transportation and also increased livestock stress. The still dry major corn and soybean areas in Argentina will see more stress as mostly dry weather continues there. In central Brazil, drier and hotter weather with only scattered rain is improving conditions for soybean harvest and planting of second crop corn. Towards southern Brazil, the drier and warmer weather is cooperating for filling, maturing, and early harvest of soybeans. That extreme cold in Western Europe is starting to come to an end as moisture from the Atlantic Ocean means some snow and rain chances. That will help to warm up that Arctic air and reduce the risk to the winter grains for them. 
AgWeather with Paul brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Reiki dealer. I see these red flag warnings that have been posted, so the question becomes, will this moisture help anyone who really needs it? Uh, probably not, especially in those very drier areas because, you know, southwest and south-central Kansas, the southwest and south-central third of Kansas, in very deep drought right now. So, And we're not looking at very much rain, and actually your better chance of moisture going to be farther to the north. Yeah. So, yeah, dry conditions across the entire area probably not going to be alleviated a whole lot with this system. We just keep layering misfortune upon misfortune. Exactly. Sorry about that. We'll do what we can to change that. But I'm afraid that ain't much. And no. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of wind by Sunday night and yeah, Monday. But be uh, be aware that uh, you should stay with 880KRVN, our Facebook, our app, our uh, website, and we'll get you all and keep you all up to date on what weather is moving in. And uh, you can probably expect a thunderstorm or two by the time we get to Sunday night. When you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. The latest judgment in WOTUS has been handed down. Possible progress has been made at the latest White House meeting on renewable fuels, and the U.S. Meat Export Federation helped shed light on concerns it has with Mexico's proposed beef grading system. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. The stay on implementation of the Waters of the U.S. or WOTUS rule has been lifted via a decision issued this week by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. The court issued the stay in October 2015, but in light of the Supreme Court ruling this past January, the circuit court lacked jurisdiction on the WOTUS rule, and the court lifting of the stay was widely expected. The Supreme Court issued its final judgment in the matter late February, and the action taken yesterday by the Sixth Circuit dismisses all challenges to the WOTUS rule, citing the Supreme Court ruling that federal district courts have jurisdiction in the matter. Presumably, that means a stay on implementation issued by a federal district court judge in North Dakota that covers 13 states is still in effect. And U.S. agriculture interests have taken their own efforts to the federal district court in Texas, seeking a nationwide stay on WOTUS implementation from that court. Back in Washington, D.C., President Trump met again with oil and ethanol groups yesterday, following what Senator Charles Grassley called on Wednesday a no-progress meeting. Following the meeting, DTN is reporting that someone close to the meeting said President Donald Trump acknowledged that allowing E15 sales year-round would help reduce the price of renewable identification numbers, or RENs. Corn industry representatives at the meeting said the meeting went well for the ethanol industry and that the president came away from the latest meeting with a better understanding of how E15 could be a part of a fix for concerns about REN prices. In addition, the president indicated he may be interested in another RFS meeting this coming week. However, there continues to be concern among corn producers that the biofuels industry would need to give something back in return. Near the end of the meeting, Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican from Texas, offered a two-year cap on the rent prices as a possible solution. In response to Senator Ted Cruz's solution on the RENs, Poet LLC CEO Jeff Brown, who's the head of the nation's largest corn ethanol producing company, expressed frustration at Cruz's effort to change the renewable fuel standards, saying the meeting featured more of the same from Senator Cruz, who has pointed to the Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing of Philadelphia Energy Solutions as a reason for reforming the renewable fuel standard. 
Bowen went on to say, It's clear from this conversation that another refinery bailout is more important to Senator Cruz and the EPA than the economic crisis facing Midwest voters at the moment. Nothing new was discussed in this meeting. Removing accountability from oil companies would deprive millions of Americans the freedom to choose less expensive, homegrown biofuels and imperil countless jobs and family farms across America's heartland. As we close out this week, we learn more about the proposed Mexican beef grading system and why it has U.S. beef producers nervous. Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation says the worry does not come from the grading system itself as the U.S. fully supports other countries' growth in the industry, but it's the way the Mexican beef grading system uses names similar to the U.S.'s system without the same quality behind it. Some of the particulars of their beef grading proposal, their proposed regulations, do concern us because uh, we feel that there is a high level of similarity in the grade names uh, compared to the USDA grading system. We feel there are some important differences in the names, that the, the grades that would parallel ours, and that would contribute to confusion. While imitation may be the best form of flattery, bad experiences with imitation products can drive customers away from the real thing. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check in on sports with Brandon Bitts. Good afternoon, Dirk. Let's check the latest scores from around the NSAA State Girls Basketball Tournament. In yesterday's action in Class A, Millard South and Lincoln East were winners, as well as Lincoln Southwest and Omaha West Side. In Class B, winners include Elkhorn, Elkhorn South, South Sioux City, and Beatrice. In Class C1, yesterday's winners include Lincoln Christian and Bishop Newman, Mitchell and Columbus Scotus. In Class C2, winners yesterday, Hastings, St. Cecilia and Ravenna, Superior and Stanton. In Class D1, yesterday's winners, Pleasanton and North Central, BDS, Ansley Litchfield. And in Class D2, Falls City, Sacred Heart, Hyannis, Exeter Milligan and Humphrey St. Francis were all winners yesterday. In games that just went final in Class C1, Bishop Newman beat Lincoln Christian by a final score of 53-41. And in Class D1, the Pleasanton Bulldogs saw their season come to an end. They fall to North Central by a final of 64-52. Games that are just getting underway in Class C1, Mitchell and Columbus Scotus, and in Class D1, BDS and Angeli Litchfield. In other basketball action, this time at the college level, the UNK men's basketball team begins their MIAA conference tournament play today in Kansas City. They tipped off just a few minutes ago versus Washburn. And coming up in a few minutes, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln basketball team begins their Big Ten tournament play in New York City. They'll take on Michigan at 1 p.m. The Husker women start their tournament run tonight at 7 p.m. They'll face Michigan as well, but this time in Indianapolis. Buffalo Bills Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly has once again been diagnosed with oral cancer. Kelly released a statement yesterday through his publicist saying he is shocked and deeply saddened by the news and vows once again to fight to overcome the disease. He did not go into specifics about the diagnosis except to say the cancer was discovered following a test. Kelly has been cancer-free since September 2014 but has been required to undergo several follow-up testings every six months. Kelly's battle with cancer began in June 2013 when he had surgery to remove cancerous cells in his upper jaw. The cancer then spread to his sinuses in March of 2014. Then, Kelly spent two months undergoing a barrage of treatments that left him in a weakened state but successfully removed the cancerous cells. Kelly led the Buffalo Bills to four straight Super Bowls back in the 1990s. 
And yesterday, the University of Arizona Board of Regents held a special meeting to get legal advice and discuss the men's basketball program and the contract of head coach Sean Miller. After that meeting, University President Robert C. Robbins confirmed that Miller will remain the head coach. Robbins made the statement less than three hours after Miller vehemently denied the report that he discussed a six-figure payment to a top recruit to attend the university. ESPN had cited anonymous sources in reporting last Friday that the FBI had Miller on a wiretap discussing a payment to Wildcats freshman DeAndre A to attend Arizona. Miller called the report, quote, inaccurate and completely false. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Clear skies tonight in Nebraska with lows generally in the 30s. I'm Dave Schroeder. The director of the North Platte Housing Authority has been accused of theft. 42-year-old Jennifer Smith of Hershey is charged with theft unauthorized use of financial transaction device, aiding a felony, and two counts of racketeering. Housing Authority board member Phil Barkley said that it's his understanding the accusations do not involve Smith's work or financial dealings for the Housing Authority. The board suspended her on February 12th pending the criminal investigation. She was named to the post in February 2015. The city of Lincoln has dropped its legal effort to recover lawsuit settlement money paid to a couple who said police wrongly seized $224,000 in cash and coins from their home. Court records say the lawsuit against David Terrence and Tamara Geis was dismissed in February at the city's request. The records don't outline any settlement and lawyers for both sides have declined comment. Terrence and Geis received more than $50,000 from the city in November. Their lawsuit said police entered their home without a warrant and forced the couple to leave while officers waited for, for one. The city lawsuit alleged Terrence violated a confidentiality agreement. The city says he was recorded on video telling convenience store clerks that he won his lawsuit and that police broke his and Geis' civil rights. Two men have been arrested in connection with several fires set in Dodge County over the past two months. No one was injured in any of the fires in that the $200,000 in damage to the Robert Hunt Family Sports Complex fire in Scribner was the largest monetary loss in any of the blazes. The fires included one at a vacant house just north of Fremont on December 28th. Kansas Senator Pat Roberts says President Donald Trump's unexpected announcement that about tariffs on imported steel and aluminum is not going to go down well in farm country. Roberts and other Republican senators received no formal warning from the White House before Trump said he'd impose a 25% import tariff on steel and 10% on aluminum to boost U.S. manufacturers. Roberts says he and other Republicans from farming states and from Senate Finance Committee have lobbied Trump hard in efforts to convince him that raising tariffs would negatively impact the rural and middle-class voters who supported his 2016 election. The senator fears a foreign backlash will hit U.S. agricultural imports. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
La Nina and its effect on the grain markets. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And our guest today is CME Group's senior economist, Eric Nordland. And Eric, you recently had a piece published talking about La Nina, calm before the storm and ag markets. So I just want you to open up and talk a little bit about what exactly you covered in this piece and why it's so timely moving into the 2018 growing season. Sir, um, basically, we are having the uh, sort of ninth episode, if you will, of a strong La Nina that has occurred over the past half century. Um, for the moment, it's not a particularly strong or compelling La Nina, however. Uh, so essentially, the waters in the central and east central Pacific Ocean along the equator um, have become about one degree centigrade, which is about uh, almost two degrees Fahrenheit cooler than normal. Um, and so that's having some impact on climate and on weather. Um, and we think that that's particularly the case in South America, uh, where we've seen this sort of dry spell hitting Argentina and Brazil. Um, it's caused a sort of sharp upward move in the price of soy meal. Um, it's caused some disturbance in the options markets. Um, it may also be contributing to some uh, weather phenomenon in the United States and Canada, perhaps bringing you know, at times slightly cooler, uh, drier weather than normal. Um, and maybe contributing to some drought conditions that may be developing in the Midwest. Um, I think for people who are farmers who are looking to sell products, um, the main point of interest about La Nina is that historically it's actually surprisingly been somewhat bearish for prices on the whole. Uh, but that may be changing um, in part because historically the main exporter for agricultural goods was North America, primarily the United States, but also Canada. Um, that has changed over the last few decades. Um, South American production um, has caught up with huge, huge increases in production of corn and soy uh, coming out of Brazil and Argentina, um, as well as enormous uh, increases in production in wheat coming out of Argentina, as well as the Black Sea region, um, the Ukraine and Russia. Um, essentially, the impact of La Nina tends to be the opposite in South America as it is in North America, and it tends to be a very little con consequence for the Ukraine and for Russia. Um, so yeah, it is a lot of sort of complex themes going on here. So we're not sure exactly what sort of impact uh, this current episode of La Nina might have. So, Eric, when we look back on the history of these La Ninas and the relationship to our commodity markets, what are we seeing here and moving forward and maybe the effects it's going to have on our grain prices? Well, you know, one thing about the markets now that I think is really quite extraordinary is when you look at the options on corn, wheat, um, as well as the various soy products, uh, the implied volatility on those options, which is essentially a standardized way of measuring how much crop insurance costs, um, is trading not exactly at, but fairly close to record lows, or at least the lowest levels that we've seen so far this decade. Uh, but one thing to know about La Nina is, is that historically they have produced actually higher than average levels of volatility. Uh, so, for example, corn options recently were selling at around 15% implied volatility. Um, that's kind of extraordinary. Corn sort of on average sells more like 21% implied vols. And during La Nina, it tends to go more towards like a 28% implied volatility. 
Now, if this La Nina fades, the market might remain very calm for a long time. But were it to intensify, uh, which, you know, it doesn't look like it's doing now, but we don't really know where it's going to go, um, these markets could become a great deal more volatile uh, than they are currently. So, Eric, you talk about that volatility and pun intended here. What's the advice being given to producers to help them weather this potential storm with La Nina? You know, that volatility could mean higher prices, lower prices. What's the advice you're giving there? Well, yeah, I think if it's a producer that normally hedges their uh, their crop risk through options, uh, one thing to know is that option prices now are relatively low. Um, so if they're going to have to do crop options, it may be better to do it when the prices are low than to do it later on when the prices are very, very high. Um, yeah, and that would also go for the buyers of food as well. You know, if you are a uh, food processor, for example, um, and you know that you're going to have to buy a certain amount of food going forward, um, you know, looking at buying it uh, forward now or protecting your upside price risk through options might be a better idea to do it today than to do it later on. Um, so that, that would be one thing to know. Um, but, you know, this is a very, very complex phenomenon. So every La Nina sort of produces its own different effects on prices. And you know, also taking into account uh, that food uh, food production in South America and in Russia and Ukraine is so much greater today now than it was in the past. Uh, looking at past relationships also might be a bit misleading. So there's a great deal of uncertainty. Okay, thanks so much. It's Eric Norland, CME Group's senior economist, talking about La Nina and its potential effects here on the grain markets. For more, visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening today to the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of the livestock futures trade now from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, not uh, not a particularly uh, great day uh, uh, particularly in the cattle uh, complex, uh, we're going to have uh, a lot of triple-digit losses, uh, uh, which came about, uh, I think, primarily uh, from the fact that uh, the cash trade was uh, not very brisk, and uh, we were uh, virtually at the uh, um, same uh, price that we were uh, all week. And uh, then you throw in uh, the threat of... Uh, uh, export business being uh, curtailed because of uh, the uh, tariffs that may be uh, put on and a uh, trade war starting. So that really put uh, the market on, on edge, and uh, we uh, saw uh, pretty good uh, selling throughout the day. Going to obviously finish lower on, sharply lower on the week for both cattle and feeders. Uh, over in the hogs, we did manage to have a bit of a rally out of the front end, uh, the April, of which is discount to the index still by uh, about $2, and uh, that uh, brought about uh, some buying there and also in the May contract, the rest of the market uh, down in the back end. Uh, cutouts uh, after being lower yesterday, saw a little rebound today but uh, at noon, but uh, still uh, negative uh, cast over the uh, uh, entire uh, livestock markets today. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter through the first six days this week is estimated at 608,000. Compare that with a year ago, and it was 22,000 more. Hog slaughter, 
2,417,000. This is the Rural Radio Network. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network, the National Pork Industry Forum in Kansas City. And uh, one of the Pork Act delegates representing the state of Nebraska is Michael Lucky. He's from the Columbus area. Michael, thanks for visiting with us here today. Michael, you also serve on the Animal Welfare Committee for the Pork Checkoff. Um, and, and a lot of things have been discussed in that committee, especially with the gene editing that has presented itself as potentially an option in livestock production, right? That's correct. And actually this summer... The uh, Animal Welfare Committee meeting is actually going to be in conjunction with animal science looking into gene editing and what could be coming down the future. There's several different companies working on on things right now from pigs that are resistant to viruses, resistant to to disease, also looking into uh, making pigs that you may not have to dock their tails, you may not have to castrate the male pigs. It might become something similar to a seedless watermelon, where it's as simple as going through, making a few tweaks to the uh, genetic makeup of the pig, and you no longer have that stressful event in the pig. You no longer have that stressful event for the caretaker, and you still get a high-quality, nutritious end product at the end of the day. These are all things that are very new and rapidly changing, and it's not something that our industry is willing to rush into, because uh, when you're dealing with the genetic makeup of an animal, everything that you do may or may not have a consequence that is unforeseen down the road. So we're taking baby steps, we're taking cautious steps, and we're looking at all different outcomes before anything ever even comes close to entering the food chain. Yeah, but we have to explore what negatives might come with this, right? Yes, if we go through and make a pig that never gets sick, does this mean that we no longer need veterinarians because we no longer have any antibiotics or medicinal needs? That's something that we need to realize that if we go down a road... There may be unforeseen ramifications, and we need to feel those out. We need to make baby steps. That way we do not collapse the side industry. Uh, there's been some talk of making pigs that get uh, 40% more nutritional value out of their feed. This sounds great until you realize that that is a reduction of 40% of corn uh, inputs and soybean inputs. And then the uh, manure is no longer usable as a fertilizer because all of the nutrient is taken out of it. It's become turned into an absolute waste product that has no value. And like I said, this is the very tip of the iceberg. We are approaching this very cautiously. And more importantly, we've had companies approach us saying, this is what we're doing. We're letting you know nothing is going to enter the food stream. Our food supply is still completely safe. And all studies have shown that it will continue to be safe. It's just that we're taking baby steps to find out where this may lead. On the animal handling front, uh, just as it stands right now, uh, trying to generate low-stress production methods. What's been the discussion about that? We've actually gone through and did some funding on uh, different projects, everything ranging from uh, new uh, handling methods to new handling equipment, such as for nursery pigs and isoing pigs, loading them with a uh, conveyor belt per se. We funded a research study that looked into that. And... uh, The pigs actually enjoyed it. There was no change in stress between moving the pigs up the chute with a uh, sorting board versus letting them hop onto an escalator or an elevator, run up the ramp, and then decide, I want to come try and run back down. It's trying to, like, run backwards on a treadmill. It didn't Uh work out too well for them. And uh, stress to the animal was relatively unchanged. Stress to the handler was reduced by 50%. We went through and did thermal imaging of the pigs, thermal imaging of the handlers, 
and the uh, handlers experienced a much more uh, easy time of loading the animals. It was enjoyable. It was fun. They did not get overworked or overstressed. So looking at worker safety, looking at animal safety, we're looking at every aspect of how we can make it better. Again, we've been visiting with Michael Lucky. He is from Columbus. He is a Pork Act delegate representing Nebraska at the uh, uh, National Pork Board meetings that were a part of the uh, pork farm in Kansas City. On the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network in a mixed grain trade today, but losses were led by the Chicago and Kansas City wheat futures. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Yeah, we may have been down today, the traders took profits, but it was a pretty up week for the wheat trade. Absolutely, almost 50 cents at one point. I think we closed a little bit off our highs. So if you're focused on the down day today, I think you're looking at the wrong details. Are we getting toppy on the charts? Yes. Does things look like it's explosive? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, I don't think we're at a level here where you're going to see a lot of behavior change. And if this is still debating on what yields are, if, you know, if, you, if we had a rain in the forecast or something had changed, I think you could legitimately talk about prices breaking. But at this point, I look for that deferred contract. And that's when we get into these moves. Start looking at some of the uh, further out months. Look at July 2019 Kansas City wheat. The market's trading right around 580, 590, and that, it got up to that range this morning. I think, um, you know, that 610 level was the hot from the, the red market, which was July 2018, a year ago. So that's still 20 cents away. That'll, that'll put the front month around 570, which happens to be the high from the front month contract last July. And I look for a, a little more push here. Now, WASDE might not be very friendly, but the weather isn't, if the weather hasn't changed, I doubt you're going to see a lot of, a lot of commercial selling. Row crops stayed close to unchanged and even a little bit higher in old crop soybeans. So we probably see some, some underlying support in both corn and soybeans. I think we'll see support into the USDA report. Uh, you know, the projections for what they're going to grow down there is, is going to change the global balance sheet pretty significantly, especially when you look at corn. You know, soybeans, you could make the case that uh, there could be a bearish surprise in there given the, the yield announcements coming out of Brazil. But, again, I, I think it's still so early that, uh, you know, anything that's going to be projected will probably be absorbed rather quickly. The one bearish caveat would be that, you know, I think back to the USDA reports of these last couple of years when we go into the late summer for our growing season and everybody's kind of projecting bearish crops, bearish crop yields, and then the USDA or the authorities give us a surprise. But I don't know if they hold the sway in South America. CONAB will come out early next week. We'll also get uh, announcements from Rosario and Buenos Aires Grain Exchanges on Argentina. And the USDA will wrap things up next Thursday. So I think you could see kind of a page turn in, uh, in what the story is at the end by the end of next week. But I think corn, you know, maybe you have a run-up here to $4 in the July. At that point, you know, the story maybe gets a little long in the tooth and you want to regroup and step out of the market if you've been on the long side. But, again, as I've been telling people all day, this move we've seen here, this is child's play compared to what's going to happen this summer if we have a weather problem. The U.S. The, the corn story is the story. So you want to save some bullets in that. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com.